0: No more humor for the rest of the morning, right? No, there's probably going to be a lot of humor. Hey, look, we've been in an amazing series. I don't know if you've been here. Um, Life on purpose. Have you? Like, you've been here the whole time. Have you seen all the different ones? Were you blessed by Josh Harrison? Isn't Josh a great speaker? I mean, thank you. Give it. A, yeah, Josh is a great speaker. He um he was kind of in transition from another church, and so Eric and I were talking, and we both remember what it's like to be in that you know wayward land. So we thought, keep him speaking, keep him kind of honed in, you know, like a like a boxer. And sure enough, there's another church, a group called Canopy, that's been kind of meeting together, and they went ahead and offered Josh, uh, the pastor of their, of their ministry. So not only did we keep him busy, but now he has a new opportunity to serve here in our town. And so I'm really excited about that. As the church grows and God continues to use gifted people, um, that's super exciting for me. And last week, he taught us on this idea that there's a rhythm in our life. That God actually instituted in the creation account this concept of the sabbatical, where you stop what you're doing and you take a break. And I don't know about you, but as American people, we are terrible about stopping what we're doing and taking a break. We're, we're really not even proficient at celebrating anything, right? We, we work, work, work to accomplish something. And as soon as we accomplish it, we just change the calendar to the next task and we keep work, 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 working. And it's not like that in Israel. They, they had holidays every single month. Their calendar is loaded with all these Ebenezer's to remind themselves, stop what you're doing and stop. I'm so sorry. What did I say that made you mad? I'll take it back right now. Oh, it's all good, Rainier. My little girl up there. He asked me one time, you you get upset when my daughter's crying. I always tell him, no, a church with no crying babies is a church that's getting too old. So we want, we want the crying babies. Bring all your kids. Let them all cry. Pastor Jeff loves them all. It's perfectly good. Makes me smile. So bring on the crying ones. Anyways, the idea was that um, Israel learned how to stop. And so last week, I was so grateful for that. And I hope you have learned to get rhythm in your life. Um, also, when it comes to rhythm and, and staying busy, did you guys do the missional pathway? How many people did that? Wow, it was a great turnout in that room. I'm so thankful for all you. I mean, that's not a short commitment. That is a genuine time constraint. And so for all of you that took the time to do that, thank you. I pray that that's blessing and encouraging you and challenge you. Um, There's going to be some other classes coming up. And I pray that talk to some of the 30, 40 people that went already and ask them how encouraging that was to them and see if that can not get you moving in the right direction as well. Because that's the direction that we're moving, this morning I'm actually on the topic number eight um, of redefining greatness. Now, greatness is just, that's an awesome word, greatness. When I say greatness, I don't know about you, but when I think about greatness, it evokes kind of the sense of like awe and inspiration. I mean, I wake up every morning and I think, okay, what can I do for the Lord today? What could I do for the Lord that'd be worthy and honoring of greatness? And I think it's interesting because I think we instill that same value in our kids from the time that they're really young and we don't even think about it. If we have some young parents in here, you'll realize like, The first few months of their life, they're barely old enough to walk, right? And we're already talking to the other parents about, well, my child can crawl at three months and you're like, ah, high five, great job. And well, my son can tap dance, you know, it's seven months. Whoa, seven. That's great. Well, of course the girls, you know, at one year, they're talking, tapping and, you know, doing everything at one year. And your son's like three years old and he's still falling over himself and says, do, do, da, da, dingy. And you're like, you know, we're battling for greatness. Mine's potty trained and mine walks. And, I, I get it. The kids don't even understand, but this idea of greatness has been instilled in all of us and we all want to be great for the kingdom of God. So this morning we're going to redefine that. We're not going to think what Pastor Jeff thinks or what other people think. I'm going to go old school. I'm going to go to the scriptures. I'm actually going to see what Jesus thinks about redefining greatness in the kingdom of God. I'm pray with me this morning as we do that. Father God, you are so good. And your mercies endure forever. I love how the songs always teach us that. And this opportunity this morning to see the greatness has been so misunderstood. We've been we've been chasing after a parked car the whole time, and we don't understand why it's so frustrating. And so I pray this morning that your word would just speak in a way that's just you, you doing what you do—the simple, pure truth of your word—and that it would free us from this burden of trying to be great, to trying to be like someone we're not. I also pray, Father, for the concept of the word mundane, that this morning, Father, you would just um, help people that maybe came to church this morning and just feel like life is so mundane. Father, there's nothing mundane about moving the kingdom of God forward. I pray that this morning your truth can be revealed in such a way that it's inspirational and we can have a whole new understanding of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. I say it all and do it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Now, that's the, that's the crucial component for this morning. We're going to be talking about greatness in the kingdom of God. Because if I was talking to you about greatness in the kingdom of man, that would be a completely different message. Greatness in the kingdom of man, you'd have to be like Mike. That's what the commercials tell you, right? Be like Mike if you want to be great. You're like Michael who? Michael Jordan, right? The world has its own ideas and its own superheroes, people that it wants you to be like. But that's not who we are. We are not of this world. We are children of God. And because of that, we want to chase after the things that are after God, greatness is one of those things like i said when you talk about instilling it into a young person's heart i mean i can remember all the way back to being young i mean this is something that as you sit here this morning whether or not you thought about it everyone has a concept or an idea or perception of what it means to be great this idea of doing something for god means it's motivational you wake up in the morning and you're like i don't want to just go through the motions today i want to do something great and if god has instilled greatness in this then why is it i feel so mundane about what i'm doing Um, In a a given week at the church, I might talk to someone about the jobs that they're doing. and, And the titles can range from all different kinds of other simple jobs. And they talk about, it just feels like I'm going through the motion. Well, this morning, I want to remind you that there's no such thing as going through the motion when it comes to moving the world forward in the greatness of God. Everything that we do, we do to the Lord is something that's great. And it's simple because the problem is we look to other people to define greatness. Like I said, well, your son can walk and my son can talk or or your son can tap and my son can crawl or wrestle or whatever it is. It's like all these other things define greatness. But I find sometimes that rather than, you know, arguing about stuff like that, what does God's word say? Right. If we could just stop as believers asking what everyone else says and just go to God's word, I think it would help settle a lot of different problems. If you have a Bible, you want to turn with me to Matthew. Matthew. Boy, I wish I could write that not colored print. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. I'll give you a second to turn there. So what's happening in Matthew 23 is Jesus has a bunch of people gathered together. And the, the disciples, um, his apostles, and the Pharisees are all gathered together in this situation. And they are running through the motion of what they think it means to be great. The problem is they're talking about greatness in their own kingdom, in the world of man. And so as Jesus hears them kind of run through this whole, you know, what it means to be a hypocrite, what it means to not be a hypocrite, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing, but by default, the lifestyle that you live is completely opposed to that. So after he's done kind of letting them all discuss what they think is great, Jesus drops this red line. First, of all, I would take a note to that red words in the Bible mean what? Jesus is speaking, right? So Jesus drops this one line sentence that is absolutely game changing when it comes to what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And he says this, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. I can guarantee you when Jesus said that it was dead silent. That is the most reversed hierarchy in the history of the world. Because what Jesus was wanting them to understand is, I have a role that you will play in my kingdom. And your role is to be meek and to be humble and to receive me as Lord and Savior. You see, when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, it changes everything. Our role is no longer to aspire to greatness in our own life. But instead, we obtain the greatness of our Lord. And that's so unfortunate because think about the programming that we do for people when we say, you want to be great in life, you need to be this. And this always ends up being a job. It ends up being a title. It ends up being something that's always associated with power and prestige. And we grind people from the time they're little, you need to work, you need to work, you need to work, you need to work to be great. You have to do this. You have to have this title. I mean, I'm five years old. I remember being as early as five years old in kindergarten talking about different things. What do you want to be when you grow up, right? We had these conversations with kids. We started them right away. I want to be a, a policeman. Back then, that, that was a great thing to be, a policeman or a policewoman, a fireman, a firewoman. I think any job with a badge, any job with a uniform was very attractive to a young person. It, it definitely aspired greatness. And there's always one kid in the group that would say, you know, I'm going to be the president, Right? Because greatness could only be one position, that one person held over all of the whole world. And that kid was never very popular in school. (laughs) But, you know, the rest of us, just something with a title, something with power, something with prestige. Five years old, I remember that discussion clearly. And I thought, you know what? I wonder what five-year-olds think today. And then I realized, you know what? We have five-year-olds downstairs. Why don't I just go downstairs and talk to them? Pastor Jeff went down to the blue room. It was game time, rec time, and I sat down a group of five-year-olds and I said, hey, for comparison, what do you guys think greatness is today? Let me tell you, I was ready for ninja, surfer, and a Fortnite player. That's what my mindset was in doing my pre-interview skills. That's what I came up with. And they sat down orderly. They went from all playing and everything. They instantly sat down orderly and their hands raised. Ms. Manashi did a great job. Yes, first response. Pastor Jeff, greatness in my mind is the opportunity to race for trophies. I'm like, dang. That's deep at five years old. I'm like, oh, you know, see who the best person is. And whoa, heavy. Little girl, Pastor Jeff, I would like to go into space. I would like to be an astronaut. I'm like, five years old? That's way past being a policeman where I wanted to be. I mean, space. Oh, they started, at that point, it was a free-for-all of, of amazing jobs and skills. And finally, I said, okay, calm down, calm down. You know, they're five-year-olds. Two little boys simultaneously answered and said, we're going to be Navy SEALs. <laughs> I'm like, ninja was deep enough for me, but Navy SEALs? I mean, what have we done? Finally, this little boy next to me, he's got his hat on kind of sideways. He's the cool little dude in the class. His name's Knox, by the way, if you got to meet Knox. He's super cool. He's like... Oh, Pastor Jeff, that's not greatness. I'm like, oh, thank you, Knox. Bring it back to life. What is greatness? He says, to talk like Donald Duck. (laughs) (laughs) That is greatness. And I said, (laughs) and they all blew up laughing. And I don't know when else I could talk like Donald Duck that I would be able to use that. But I thought, okay, we've got one good guy. I I said, Knox, why do you want to talk like Donald Duck? And he says, I want to make my friends laugh. What isn't great about that, right? I got in a lot of trouble for doing the same thing, Knox. Um I hope he gets good direction on that. So I said, okay, job. I I I led him astray. I misled them with job. How about guys, let me ask you a different question. What does it mean just to be great? What's great things we can do, right? I'm waiting for that spiritual answer. Hands fly back up. They're so orderly. Yes, first one, what do you think? eat vegetables pastor jeff that is the greatest thing to do what are we vegans down there i'm like eat vegetables no danny two people that have i'm like no eating vegetables oh, what up brush your teeth i'm like this conversation is running away from me they went through the gamut of great things hugging my friend is a great thing to do finally one little girl me low you guys know the lows. Little Mia raised her hand. She said, you know, Pastor Jeff, the best thing, the greatest thing we can do in life. And I'm like, here we go. It's going to be funny. Is when you hug your mom or your dad. And I'm like, Megan, I'm a grandparent, you know. <laughs> I'm not funny anymore. That hurt, man. I was like, dang. That was inspirational for five years old, right? But I realized something. How many of us have ever asked a five-year-old, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what's something great? And they said, oh, to be a waiter. To be a servant. What adult have you ever asked, has ever said, to be a waiter, to be a servant? And I just kind of struggle with it a little bit. I'm like, you know what? It's great that all those things are great. But the truth about it is, it's not in our DNA to say to be a servant, to be a waiter. Clearly, the idea of greatness is there. But the idea of how we work that out always ends with this title. And this job and this form of power and prestige that says, look, clearly you can see by this that I'm great. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this is just a thing that happens for kids and then it goes away. There's a time and a place for it and then it kind of goes away. And I'm like, dang it. I went back to the scripture again. I always go to the scripture and I found this account, Matthew 20. 20 you want to check this one out. Matthew 20, 2022. 20, Matthew 20, 2022. 20, you know, sometimes in the Bible, we disconnect ourselves from the people in it. We act like, you know, they lived 2000 years ago and, and I have no one in the Bible that I can identify. There's no characters in the Bible that I can identify with. It just doesn't speak to me. And I always think, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but the Bible I read talks about like the simplicity. I guarantee you there's a mom in this room right now that can relate to this story. So Jesus has this group, the disciples, the apostles that are walking with him. These guys are full grown men, right? And this account Salmon, the mother of the, the, the sons of thunder, right? That's a pretty buff name, right? The sons of thunder, James and John. She has a quick question that she needs to ask Jesus. And she's going to ask this question of Jesus in front of the other group, okay? Read this account. This is the absolute biblical truth of does greatness go away in our desire for it. So the mother of James and John, Salmon, this is actually who it is. It doesn't say who it is, but I found out who it is, comes to Jesus and she says, kneeling down, She asks a favor of him. She said, grant me this one favor, the two of my sons, James and John, that they might sit at your right and your left in your kingdom to Jesus in front of the rest of the group. She asks us. Some of you moms are like, thinking can smother, right? I mean, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus says to him. You don't know what you're asking. I guarantee you I know what's going on right now. Verse 24 even confirms it. In verse 24 it says, And the other guys sitting around were annoyed by what they heard. Oh yeah. Can you imagine that? Someone's mom scoots into Jesus and starts asking for the left and right hand of the table. Now we don't, that's, what do we care? Left and right hand means nothing. Back then, whoever the host was, was number one of the the event, right? But whoever left and right was, two, three. Oh, you talk about greatness. You talk about position of authority. And here's someone's mom asking, you know, Sons of Thunder. You think the Sons of Thunder would be able to ask for themselves. But mom's in there asking for her boys. I guarantee you it's not written in here. This is Jeff paraphrasing. Peter's got to be going, man, I walked on water, right? Well, I almost walked on water. I took like two steps. If anyone's going to sit at the right hand, should be me. Because they're annoyed, right? So I'm paraphrasing. So if you're under no man i'm the oldest in this group and everyone knows according to israel and the laws of the, of the of the israelites the oldest has the position of authority i should be at the right maybe you can sit at the left and then someone says well look if it's just a bunch of fishermen talking i catch the most fish and the biggest fish so i'm gonna sit at the right and i'm sure the guys were just round table and back and forth about who should sit where and I do this here at the church whenever I get stressed out about stuff. And I can just picture Jesus going, okay, guys, let's sit down here. Let's calm down here. Look what he says there. He gathers the rest of them together. And he tells them this in verse 25 and 26. You guys think this. Your rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over you. And even the people who were over them, the superiors exercise authority over them. So I understand in your culture, anyone who's in charge loves to tell everyone that they're in charge. Verse 26. But it will not be that way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, he's talking to his small circle. Anyone who wants to be great among you must be a servant. Can you imagine that pep talk there? All the alpha personalities just, all their heads deflate and they're like, wow, he's gone. He said it again. It's, it's Jesus speaking again. It's not confusing to understand because the word there, diakonos, the Greek word for that is the same word we use for the word waiter. A secondary use of that might be a person who runs errands. You can't misinterpret what he's saying. The waiter, the person who runs errands, the person who tends to the other person's needs. In the kingdom of God, maybe not in the kingdom of man which you guys are living in, but in the kingdom of God, that is where greatness begins. Sometimes I think things are just too simple. Like, you know, why why have we not just taught this before? Why is this why don't we just cumulatively as a group of believers, why can't we just understand this? Is there other spots where it teaches? Yes, over and over again. Mark 10:44 says this, "Whoever wants to be the first of among you must be the slave to all. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life for a ransom." That Mark 10:44 passage, red print again. Right, It's not like Jesus is hiding this truth from anyone. It's not like Jesus hasn't taught this truth over and over and over again. It's the hardness of our own heart, right? It's the It's the garden sin that we ate from something that we think we have the knowledge of good and evil. And we think aspiring towards greatness is something that's beneficial for us to do. But it's not. It's detrimental. Because if our Lord and Savior did not come with a desire to be served... But a desire to serve. And then he names the people that he desires to serve. Who does he want to serve? The weak. The humble. The sick. The burdened. The heavy laden. That doesn't sound like the contingency of people that most of us are laboring to try to impress. Right? He's making it perfectly clear. I already have greatness from my father. See, I'm not here about getting something that I already have. And I think that's something that we miss. When we, when we come to confession and faith in Christ, when we come to salvation in Christ, we always know at first that the, the forgiveness of sins is absolutely imperative and crucial. Without the forgiveness of sins, there is nothing to talk about. I get that. But along with the forgiveness of sins, what else comes with that? Adoption. Now we have some parents in here that have gone through the adoption process and I can tell you something. One of the most amazing things about the adoption process is the child that once had nothing and no name in the light of adoption now has what? A name and an inheritance. It's one of the single greatest acts of what he does for us in salvation. And Jesus isn't just somebody. He's the body. He's the way the truth, and the life. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's no reason for us to desire greatness again because we are followers of the one who is the greatest. And that's what we received in our salvation, a cleansing of our sins, a renewing of our mind. The scripture says, the old has gone away. You are a new creation in Christ with new desires, and now you can fight your old way, which says you have to be great in everything that you do. That's not what Jesus patterned for us. He said, be great in whatever you do and do it unto me. You remember in the Genesis talk, we understood something that a lot of you maybe didn't understand. The word work is not a negative word anymore. Work in Genesis is not a negative word anymore. The word work and worship were what? Same synonymous, equal to. So think about how that frees you up now. If you can work and worship God, then just that alone helps you understand there's no such thing as mundane. Well, I'm a, I'm a senior. I'm not doing a whole lot. You still have time. You still have the opportunity. Moses was 80 when the Lord called him. Well, I'm a stay-at-home parent right now, and I can tell you changing diapers is just not that exciting. Nope, that's not true. You're building in that child. That child gets to see you more than any other person on the planet Earth, and you get to build and instill in that child the characters and attributions of God. That's a worthy cause. Anything you, you know, right now I'm a barista, and I'm just making coffee drinks. That's okay. Every person you meet, you get to make coffee drinks for them and smile and tell them have a blessed day. And they get to think, why would someone tell me have a blessed day when they're not making that much and I'm getting... This doesn't make sense. And then they get to see your wonderful attitude when a lot of other people will not have a good attitude because it's a minimal job, right? That's the mentality they have. And you're moving the world forward with an attitude that says, you know what? Even my baristing is unto the Lord. My work is worship unto the Lord. And that's my greatness. I get aspire to thank the one who has given me salvation in my work. Take the trash out, mow the lawn, pull weeds. Whatever you do, What does the scripture say? How do you do that? Unto the Lord. And that's what's so amazing. We don't, we don't have to, we don't have to try to earn greatness anymore. We obtain worship. We inherited greatness in our adoption it's inherited favor just like we get unmerited favor in grace you guys all understand that grace unmerited favor the lord shows us favor with grace he's also allowing us to be inheritors of his greatness that's what it means for him to be your father you don't have to aspire to be great in this world why would you want to be great in something that's all going to go away Anytime you guys are in doubt about something, just go to scripture. I know there's a lot of wise men and wise women in the world. I'm grateful for that. But you know what? There's one that supersedes us all. Let's just go there. Don't lay up for yourself treasures where moth and rust and thieves destroy, right? But instead, lay up treasures where? Where? In heaven, how can we lay up treasures in heaven? If we labor for other people, if we labor for the weak, if we labor for the lost, if we labor for the downtrodden, if we labor for those who don't know Christ, we're laboring for things that are not going to go away. And we're laboring in such a way that that work is actually worship to who? God. In everything that we do. Why make surfboards? Make surfboards to the Lord. Well, I'm just a football player right now. Then play football for the Lord. It doesn't matter what you do. We put too much onus in, oh, this is what I do. No, you're a follower of Christ. That's where the onus needs to be in. And what you do is not significant. Who you do it for is the significance because that's what you are in Christ. Man, that's life-changing to me. Then I go back to the scripture in 1 Peter 4 and it says... Show hospitality to one another without complaining as good stewards of the manifold grace of God as each of you should do whatever gift he has been given to serve one another without complaining. It's not a blessing to God if you do it and you complain. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. How can you do that complaining? Are you upset that Jesus died and gave his life a ransom for us? What are you mad about? You're on the winning team. Doesn't matter what the score is. If you need to watch a good game and you're really frustrated, watch the Dodger game from last night. That's, you know, there's nothing better than a good old lathering. You know? On the, on the heels of a defeat, there's nothing better than that. But you are followers of Christ. You're in Christ, in your salvation. You're on the winning team. Why are you so frustrated? Are you, confu- are you confused? Confused. I'm confused. Are you confused between the weeds and the fruit of the Spirit? Go back to Galatians and reread. There's some attributes there on one side that's not good. There's attributes on the other side that are good. You know, being anxious for something's not going to help you. Who by worrying is added one day? It doesn't work like that. Now, I understand there's things to be stressed about, but you know what? Understand something. You're a child of God. And in the end, your father wins. And you're on his team. So if he's allowing you to go through that trial, if he's allowing you to go through that tribulation, take heed that that's part of what he needs to do to refine you. It's called sanctification. He's going to make you and teach you and heal you and make you something that you could have never been on your own. For what reason? So you can serve other people that are struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. Does that make more sense? Right? I mean, if you're going through depression or anxiety or whatever and you overcome that in the Lord and I'm not going through that, then who's a better person to minister to that person who's struggling with depression and anxiety? Me because I'm the pastor and I have teaching and training and I get paid to and I should? I say no. I say you because you've lived it and you've seen how faithful and good the Father is to you. Now if you want to go fishing, that's a different story. I will gladly teach you that. Right, my buddy, take my buddy Jack out there and go fishing on the pier. Look, there's three serving components to this church that are so important. I don't know if you know about it. If you go on our website, if you know anything about the church, we get a chance to serve around here. And the first opportunity that you get a chance to serve, the ethos of this church is we get to serve within the church. Right? You don't have to go volunteer across the street to go help the little ones. You don't have to do that. You should never say, I have to go do that. Um, I met with someone a couple of months ago, and they were uh, confused about tithing. And the conversation went something like this. So I have to tithe, and I just want to clarify, I have to tithe 10%. I said, what scripture was that? I have to tithe. I'm going to tell you something about anything that happens to do with the church. Praying serving tithing volunteering life groups anything and everything you don't have to do any of those officially for the record pastor jeff absolves you from all those you don't have to do any of those you don't have to you get to though if you're a follower of christ that's a big difference because if jesus died on the cross to forgive you of his sins and you've received him as lord and savior of your life you have the opportunity when you wake up every morning for greatness to serve others And to serve him in a way without complaining and with all your heart, that doesn't make any sense to the world. You get a chance to do things in your job and in your world and in your life situation that are not about your greatness and your title and your aspirations and your wants and your... It's not you. It's not about you. I'm sorry. I mean, if it should have been about anyone, shouldn't it have been about Jesus? I mean, in the garden, that conversation, you know, not my will but your will be done there's there's nothing more impressive about greatness than the the opportunity to humble yourself and say not me you i know the lord i'm good i know where i'm going when i die and i'm so grateful for salvation in my life that the way that i get to show that is how can i help you in whatever stage of life that you're in right now i mean sometimes i have better days than others Sometimes my kidneys and my body parts don't work the way they should. And in those moments, I just realized something. I have the opportunity to minister to other people that are suffering ailments and physical things that I would never have. So am I grateful for that? Yes. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have compassion that I wouldn't normally have. I got to deal with all my heart. You didn't have to wake up this morning and go to church. <sighs> The Bible says in Hebrews 10, don't forsake the gathering. Don't forsake it. But you don't have to do it. You get to do it. And I just want you to take a deep breath because whatever one of these three components makes the most sense to you, great. But just realize something. Don't tithe because you have to. Tithe because you get to live on 90% and he asks for 10% so you can support your church. So that people can go and minister all over the world. I mean, churches in Israel right now. Dawn's back, but we left one of our young adults in Costa Rica. She's there. For one year, and if you guys want to know what it's like for Lauren, talk to Don about what it's like for a young adult from Costa Mesa who has anything and everything she could need to go live in a jungle town and speak bilingually when her first language is English to minister to a bunch of small children. And you are supporting that with your tithe. You don't have to do that. It's like saying you have to be baptized. You don't have to do that. You don't have to take communion. You get to take communion. You get to do it in remembrance of Him. Guys, it's all attitude with God. And additionally from that, we get to serve our community. We don't have to serve the community. Not all the community likes us. Matter of fact, some of our neighbors have made it very clear. They do not like us and they wish that we were gone. They have said that absolutely, emphatically, clearly to us. My thought to them is, why would you buy a house near a church? Right? I mean... Maybe they got it through the family, but I tell you this, God is working that out because in those conversations with people that are absolutely opposed to everything vehemently that you're doing and you simply show them in love, what can I do to serve you? Eventually God will win. And for all the people that hate our trunk or treat because we steal all the kids from the neighborhood, we say this to the neighborhood. Then come join us because 600, 700 people roll through that event. They're all blessed. They're all excited. And five hundred hamburgers were served by one life group to a bunch of hungry people. We don't think that's a bad thing. We think that's us trying to love our community. You're physically hungry. That's a temporal need. That's pretty. That's pretty shallow. If that's all the church's goal is, is to meet a temporal need, right? But if we meet that temporal need with hands wide open and say, hey, look, for tonight, let us feed your kids. Hey, for tonight, let us give them candy and a safe thing to do on a night that potentially can be goofy. But tomorrow, come to church on Sunday and let us feed you spiritual food that can keep you full for a lifetime, right? We know a perpetual spring of living water. We have to think about what a blessing it is to love our community. If they attack us, the Bible says they're not going to be your friends. Not every, you come to Christ and everything's good and everyone loves you. No, that's a different Bible. You come to Christ and it's difficult and people don't like you and it's confusing. But we get to be the hands and feet connecting to that. And because of that, then our cup overflows again. And now we get to go serve the world. You see, it's a contingency of rings, and each ring, the overflow of doing that and being blessed and serving as it flows into the next one, and then it flows. And the ethos of that is that it just starts to make sense, and you understand that's the buy-in for this church. That's why this church is still going. There's not a lot of churches that have this age that are still going strong. But there's something about what this church is doing that's a blessing to people. Today in Israel, we have a contingency of people from our church Today in Israel, we're there with another church, Palm Harvest. Uh, Mike Decker's there, his church. And those churches say as one group, we not only like our community, we love our community. And we love the churches in our community. We can actually go to events together and share costs so that we can be a blessing. Today in Israel, Costa Rica tomorrow, maybe down in Mexico later on. But wherever the wherever the word of God needs to go and we can go, we go. That's right, Michael. Every day. And along with that, the missionaries that you guys support in that tithe, every single day, whether you know it or not, the word of God is going out even further. Every day. The papuses I mean, look at the missionaries that we support. Every day, mission work happens because of this church and the faithfulness of who you are. That's exciting to me. There's nothing mundane about serving that God. There's nothing mundane about waking up and saying, today God may provide an opportunity for me to serve someone who doesn't know that Jesus died for them. There's nothing mundane about taking out the trash for me because I take out the trash and I thank God for everything in the bag. That is something another pastor taught me. Pastor Tom at my other church. Pastor Tom taught me, you know, the reason why you complain about taking out the trash is you forget what's in your hand. All the blessings from the week. The butter, the jam, the honey, the honey. The shampoo, right? If you don't want none of those things, then don't buy any of those things. Then see how your week goes, including your power bill, your gas bill, and anything else that's provided for you. And you don't want them. They're they're a big burden to you. Don't pay them and see what happens. Then when that week happens, you're going to be like, I can't wait to pay them, and your attitude will change. And then the next time you take out all that trash, you can just think about all the different things that that represents in blessing in your life. That simple little thing that I was taught 20-something years ago, I love taking the trash out. I take the trash out here at the church all the time before anyone else can even touch it. Because I get to walk to the trash and thank him for everything that he has given us. Right? It's it's attitude. It's without complaining. It's with all my heart. You guys all know the passage. Romans says, you know, present your life a living sacrifice. That sounds really complex, but not in this new light. In salvation, I'm living my life out for God. I'm living my life out and my work. If I'm making mufflers, we have a gentleman, I don't know if he's here. Oh, my buddy Reed is here. We have a guy who makes amazing mufflers for the racing world. I mean, you talk about high-end, high stuff that only a few people can do. Make mufflers to the Lord. (laughs) I don't even think they're called mufflers. They're probably called supersonic X7 exhaust systems, right? Because they go on cars that have like 1,200 horsepower. But you know what? Whatever. Play golf for the Lord. Most people in the five hours they're on a course are saying a lot of things for themselves. I've been out there. It'd be nice to have one person on the course who's not of the course. When your ball goes in the water, just turn to the guys and say, it's okay, only my boss walks on water. And then just put another $5 ball down and whack it into the house and say, it's okay, I meant to give them that. And then put a range ball down and play in for you, John. <laughs> Pastor Jeff, I just, I, I hate when you try to make things simple because the truth of my life is it's mundane. I am a student and I study all day long. Nobody knows what I'm doing and nobody cares what I'm doing. And it just, it's irritating to me. You know, when I go back to this concept of being a waiter, I think, you know, Oh, bus boy. Oh gosh, Lord forbid dishwasher. Oh no. <laughs> dishwasher. No. What titles would work for you? Ah, oh, assistant manager. Hmm, that sounds good, right? But realistically, unless we're the owner of the business, it's just not that impressive. Do you see how this works against us? The mindset that we have is that somehow we're earning something or doing something that's going to impress other people. I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you're the hostess at that restaurant, seat everyone like it's the last time they're ever going to eat and love on them and be something to them that they've never seen before. So when they're done sitting down, they're like, is that the nicest hostess we've ever had in our life? Before they ever eat or experience any component of the restaurant, just their experience by touching you, the hostess, changes their whole life. What happens if we have that kind of mentality as believers? Because the reality is when it comes to our Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, the host of hosts, God's only Son, one final account that just blows my mind, and I will not get emotional about this, but it is, it's brutal for me to think about people thinking, you know, that's below me, Pastor Jeff. There's, the, there's things that I can do, and then there's things that I can't do. Really? Hmm. I don't know that that's true with Jesus. Let's... Mark 13, Mark 13, three through five. So this account in Mark, um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, they're all written to different people groups. Um, I always think of Mark as X marks the spot. So Mark's talking to the Romans, Matthew, Matthew, he's talking to the Jews. Luke is the doctor. So it was very uh, significant points, but Mark's component is just capturing the simplicity of this final pep talk. And in 13, what's happening is they're in the upper room. Jesus is prepping to go home to be with the Lord. And he wants to give the guys this final life lesson. And this life lesson is so brutal for me because when it comes to humility and meekness, and you say, well, something's below you, I really want to just remind you, nothing was below. Nothing was below Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had delivered all things to him in his hands. And he had come from God and now was getting ready to return to God. So he got up from the supper... And he laid aside his outer garments. They had two garments, an inner and an outer. He lays aside his outer garment. And he wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he went and poured a bowl of water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel that's around his waist. Now, I don't know about you, but when we talk about feet today, even with shoes and socks on, some people freak out when it comes to feet. They got a new show called the toe bro because people are freaked out about feet right but two thousand years ago they didn't have socks and they didn't have closed toed shoes that i'm aware of now we do have some sandal wearers today we got some Birkenstockers. we got we got some very nice open toed shoes here today but i would encourage you to the next time you're in the sierras or somewhere that's a nice dirt path for the sake of understanding this put on your sandals and don't just walk for 20 minutes or 30 minutes because they walked all day long all day every day spend a good 3 or 4 days in your sandals and see what happens to your feet and think about in that last moment those guys who had been walking sweating and as you sweat in your linens and the sweat rolls down where does it stop your feet think about the quality of their feet as they've just eaten Nice and full, laying on their sides. It was a different way of eating back then. And the next thing you know, the King of Kings, the Messiah himself, is not just kind of praying over your feet or praying over you. He is washing your feet with his hands in a basin. That had to be a monumental moment for them. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been involved in feet washing three different times. One time with adult and twice with students. And I can tell you this. It's not only difficult for some people but for some people it's flat out uncomfortable and just the emotions of humbling themselves to kneel in front of someone and attempt to try to wash feet for some people it just breaks them down it it just seems too little for a human being to do that yet he doesn't just wash one he washes the whole group can you imagine if you're three or four down the line and you're like oh no right one of the guys says hey don't just wash my feet go all dude bring it all bring it all I'm, I'm i'm dirty head to toe right what are you thinking when he's doing that i'll tell you what i'm thinking is if that's as bad as it got how do you think they were thinking when he was hanging on the cross just some time later And that in his final moments that he wanted to do and say something, he wanted to remind them to be great in the kingdom of God, guys. This is where it starts. Down here. And I'm not just going to wash your feet clean. I'm going to wash your whole soul clean from your feet up. Because I'm a different kind of water. I'm a perpetual water. Not only for cleansing, but for drinking. And if you take me in, it changes everything. And you no longer have to aspire to be great for yourself. You now have inherited greatness from the father and you can bring refreshment like a waiter and serve those around you with that because it's perpetual. And if it means you have to run some errands and do something that's belittling or underneath you, then change your perspective. Because everything you do without complaining with all your heart as a living sacrifice, you now get to do. As a way of saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for me. I got a chance in 2011 to go to New Orleans. In 2011, Katrina had just hit. And the state was pretty wiped out. We were in the city of La Quinta, which is out there towards Palm Springs. And what I could say is a very fluent town we're a resort community we were right next to the tennis stadium and we had a lot of privileged students one of the uh, elders in the church came to me and said pastor jeff what do you think you can do this year to, to change the lives of your students and i said you know we go to camp we go to thousand pines and we go to forest home for winter camp we do all these things maybe this year we could take a deep breath and say take all of our camp money Ask the church for some donations. We could take a bunch of students and go actually to a disaster area and see what would happen. We ended up having to take eight adults because 16 students is a lot to manage. That trip cost the church $23,500 for one 10 week, 10 day event. And I kept thinking that the cost was too much. It was just too much. It was, it was, it was two years worth of youth budget. But for those 16 kids that found out that we were going to New Orleans and those eight adults, that's all they talked about. So I said, let's do it. We boarded the plane. Just getting on a plane with that many people is a difficult landing in New Orleans where all of a sudden the weather was 90% humidity. Everything was trashed. I mean, it literally looked like just trash, like a giant human yard sale. It was devastating. And the first meal they served red beans and rice it may sound exciting to you. But to 25 privileged people from La Quinta, we had landed in purgatory. And from that moment on, I realized how in over my head I was. I mean, I'd been doing ministry 25, 24 years at the time. Back then, 23 years at the time. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to motivate and help this many people. We're going to lose it right from the very beginning. And then that night at worship, hungry, because they didn't eat. They didn't even know what red beans and rice are. Sweaty because the humidity, it doesn't go away. You're wet from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Something happened in worship that night. And the heart of a servant started to be birthed in these eight adults and these 16 students. And there was tears. And I mean, we do worship all the time in my youth group. We had great worship. I had never seen what was happening just in that first night as the hunger pains and the sweat pains and the uncomfort of life was starting to overwhelm them. And I wasn't sure if it was a nervous breakdown thing or the spirit thing, but I couldn't do anything about it either way. So I just prayed and I said, Lord, we're just starting. This is day one. We're in big trouble. It was the spirit. And he was humbling the whole group, adults included. We left that night and I went back to the room and I gathered everybody and I had a big pep talk and I said, okay, half of us are going to a little piece of grass next to the fire station with big concrete pillars all around it. That's the only piece of grass left in the town. And the other half are going to go to a job site. And and people are living in a house that's almost condemned. But I think with eight of you guys and four adults, you guys can help kind of restore the house. We drove into the neighborhood. One van went to one site. We drove the other one, one van, the other site. And they dropped us off. And it was just shock and awe from our kids. Like the field looked like something from a bad field, not field of dreams. And before we could even do this VBS at the park thing, we had to spend one full day 12 of us just cleaning the park up to make it safe to even go out there and put a soccer ball down or throw a football and i realized 20 minutes into the cleanup we needed gloves we probably needed masks and the stuff that we were throwing away in bags we probably should have called someone for assistance i mean drug paraphernalia just the kind of stuff that ends up in a park that's not meant for human playing each day, a car would drive up as we were parked out there, and people would just open the door and drop off kids. And here would come a four-year-old, a three-year-old, a seven-year-old, and no one would say, hey, I'll be back to pick him up, or hey, I, okay. They would—they just knew. Churches had been doing this, had been coming to this ninth district. The ninth district at the time was the fifth highest rated murder per capita in the world. They knew no, no normal people would be in that park as what was happening, Only crazy Christians who would come love their kids. They had these things called bike sentinels. They were the drug dealers in the neighborhood. And when they saw the park starting to bustle with activity, the sentinels came up to us and said, you guys better be from a church, man. You're in big trouble. I said, dude, look at us. What do you think we are? I mean, does this look like what? I mean, yes, we're a church. He's like, okay, because if not, you're in the wrong neighborhood, man. Oh, that week, hopscotch. Foursquare, frisbee hula hoop god moved in that group like nothing i've ever seen before in my life and each night as we came back and decompressed with the build site and what they were doing i can affirm for you one thing from those 16 students that went and eight adults at 25 probably over 20 of those today are still faithful in their walk with god still walk with the Lord that impacted the life so deeply and so dramatically because we went there the privilege to help the underprivileged. We went there to help those who are in need of help. And I promise you one thing, they helped us more than we ever could have helped them. They showed us more love, more compassion, So we got motivated and even walked through the neighborhood and started just knocking on doors and said, hey, the church is in town. And if you have any kids and they want to come play with us, come play with us. And parents would go, oh, the church. And they would open the door and out would go running their kids. And we would just have kids running with us. We had no idea how to get them back to their home or do anything like that or what time. They didn't care. You just said church. And they knew you were there to help. And I can tell you this. Are people born great? Nope. People are born sinners. And they're saved by a loving God. And Christ dies for them and gives them a new perspective. And he redefines greatness for them so that playing hopscotch with seven little kids from a neighborhood that you've never seen before in your life is life-changing. It's more than anything you could ask for. And the kids started taking chalk and drawing on the columns, you know, the cement columns that kind of surrounded us. And each day, another column would be beautifully kind of drawn with hands and pictures of bible verses and different things and as the week progressed that little teeny piece of land became like the sanctuary until every column as far as you can see even ones way beyond the the park were all covered in bible verses and pictures and beautiful little things from those kids can anyone achieve greatness not in not in man's world Only a few can obtain it in man's world. But can anyone obtain greatness in God's kingdom? Yes, anyone who comes, anyone who comes to faith in Christ. Inherited greatness of the Father. Salvation, cleansing of your sins, and a renewing of your heart like you can't even imagine. The old, the old ways struggle, and you, and you'll fight for the new ways, and there's gonna be a battle, and you're gonna ask yourself, why do I keep falling back to my old way? Because the new way is trying to break through. And the new way says it's not about your greatness anymore. It's not about what you could become or what you are. It's about who he is already. King of kings. Lord of lords. Anyone who receives Christ, this truth applies to you this morning. And so let me just clarify for you as I get ready to run this thing down. If you walked in this building this morning and you don't know that Jesus Christ died for you. That God's son put his life on that cross and gave it as a ransom for you. Let me just remind you this morning. That is the only decision that you need to make that's worth time and energy. Every other decision you will make will be for naught. But the decision about who Jesus is and what you will do with him is the single greatest decision that you will make in your life. And if you will receive that gift, if you will receive the free gift of salvation, and then not only do you receive unmerited favor, which means favor that you don't deserve, but you also receive a new heart, a new mind, and an inheritance from the Father, which means an entitlement to his greatness. And it changes your perspective about what you do and how you do it for the rest of your life, or at least it should. And I can tell you this morning that that's so encouraging to me. You say, you know, it makes sense, you know. Someone could wake up every Sunday morning, make donuts, make fruit, do different things and bring them over. I mean, it seems like such a small thing. There's nothing small about that. It's a great thing because it's done for the kingdom of God. And that work is done as a worship unto God. When you join a life group and you decide to open up your life and share with other people and through life on life, you start to build and grow. That is a ministry that God is giving us. And that is a blessing. That's our greatness in him that he allows us to be built up by one another. Everything you do, sitting here this morning, because you know and I know there's only one thing worth one thing worth hearing. And that's the word of God. No matter what we do in this building, if we ever lose sight of that, we're here for one reason, to speak about the death, the burial, and resurrection of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His greatness redefines everything for us. And if we can do that, then something as mundane as joining the greeting team and saying hi to people. It's like, no. No. You might shake hands with someone who's despondent and woke up this morning and thought about taking their life. I have had in my time in ministry, I've had plenty of wonderful stories about the account of one chance encounter. There's no chance in the Bible. There's nothing chance about serving God. Today, your encounter with someone and the attitude you have towards someone and the love unmerited favor you show show towards someone could save them from a pit of despair that you don't even know that they're standing at. That's right, Michael. And today you have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of God, to be the hands and feet of someone who says, I understand that greatness is no longer mine and now I don't have to chase it. I can simply just serve in whatever capacity the Lord gives me and I will do so with a heart of joy, without complaining, a living sacrifice, and I will give it everything I have. Yeah. Take out the trash with everything you have serve god in your marriage in your relationships in whatever you do and then the struggle to be alpha can move away and realize we already have an alpha we have the alpha uh, and the omega right we already have the beginning and the end we don't need more alphas we already have them what we need are people that can acknowledge who he is and serve in such a way that em- encourages others what can you do today what can you do today to change your attitude of me, mine, what I need to his, ours? How can we be part of it? Maybe you're doing something today and you just were doing it for the wrong reason. And now you have a better understanding of why you get to do what you're doing. And maybe that will help motivate you to, to do it in a way now that's even more joyous, more grateful. But maybe you're here this morning and for the first time, God's is calling you. You know what? I have something I need you to do. Maybe it's baptism. We haven't we haven't baptized in a while. That kind of stuff makes me nervous as a pastor. You know, I, I really like to baptize. I think hearing testimonies is beneficial for the church. Maybe it's time someone filled out their connection card and said, I'm ready to be baptized. Maybe you have kids that need to be baby dedicated. We haven't done any baby dedications in a while. I'm, I love doing dedications. I'm used to doing lots of them whatever it is, what can you do this morning that just reminds you your act to serve can bless and encourage other people? What can you do this morning that God is exposing to you that needs to be done? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call the worship team back up here. I'm also going to call a couple of the elders up here. Like we used to do a little bit of old school, pastor Jeff's old. And so he's still falling back in the old school. Maybe I can get Rich to come up here, Byron to go back there, maybe Bill, you want to come up here and bring your wife. And we're just going to have a time of reflection, like a song that I picked out that I really think just hits me in a place that I need to go, and that's um, How Deep the Father's Love. It's a hymn. I understand that not everyone remembers the hymns, but it's a hymn, and it just reminds me that, you know what, it's because of how deep the Father's love is that we get to serve that we get to be followers of Christ, that we get to be believers. And so maybe this morning, if you need to pray, if you need to have a moment with somebody, maybe God's exposed something to you that you just need to purge. Maybe you need to come to salvation today, whatever it is. As this song plays out and it's you sing or whatever, I want you to have a time of reflection to think about that. And I wanna pray that you know God redefine greatness for you this morning. Father God, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for every opportunity that your word presents when we go to it, when we open it, and when we ask it to speak. I know that there's no one more intelligent, more wise, and more loving than you. And so your greatness is sufficient for me. I yield to that. And I pray if there's anyone in this room today who's been aspiring and desiring to be great themselves and that's distracted them from who you are, Father, I pray this morning that you would humble them, that you would remind them how deep your love is for them, and how you showed us love before we even knew you, Father. I pray that everything we continue to say and do would bring honor and glory to and through that amazing Son of yours, Jesus Christ. Amen.